Amen. I hope uh, you meant what you just sang in inviting the Spirit of God uh, to speak to us today. I can tell you that uh, as we sang, we're hanging on every word of the Spirit, that today every word the Spirit has recorded for us is extremely important. So it always is. Uh, Today we're not going to look at a lot of words, so not a lot of volume uh, in our main text. Uh, One main verse, so if you would join us, Romans 8. Uh, Romans chapter number 8, if you would join us there. Romans 8. I want to go back and read two verses on either side of our main text. Our main text today, only 24 words, but that will keep us uh, plenty busy this morning. Uh, The verse we're going to look at, some of you would say is your favorite verse in all the Bible. Uh, I could say it's... I don't know that I have a favorite verse. Uh, It's usually something the Lord's using right now at the time. But uh, this passage or its sister passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, uh, chapter 29, verse 11, is one that I've used a lot. But frankly, Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, directly applies more to the Jewish nation, Jewish people that were in exile. This one is broader and thankfully does include me. And they say very close to the same types of things. Um, Romans chapter 8. Would you back up? We're going to start reading verse 26, which we looked at these two verses last week. And again, the context before that was one in which Paul was acknowledging that there's suffering. The creation we live in, all of creation's groaning, waiting for the time when God will reveal who the children are, who His children are. And for now, even Christians, even though we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, we groan in our bodies Longing for the day we're going to be rid of these versions of this body. And we'll get another version. We're longing for that and we're hoping for it. So with that in mind, verse 26. Notice all the connector words as we start each verse. Likewise, the Spirit, which the Holy Spirit we just sang about. Likewise, so here's what the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Scriptures, writes about Himself. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I need the Holy Spirit to help me today because I have a lot of weakness. I am weak physically. I am weak spiritually. But He helps us. How weak are we? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We think we know a lot of things. We don't even know how to pray is what He's saying. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. With groanings too deep for words. So we're going to go back and forth here. There's what we don't know and there's what the Spirit knows. He knows how to make up for our lack of knowledge. We're very ignorant. In a minute you're going to see what we know. We know something. But the Spirit knows everything. Last week we said God the Father knows our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit and He knows His own will. We don't know hardly any of that. We don't even know our own hearts, much less someone else's heart. We don't know the mind of the Spirit of God. And we don't always know the will of God. But He knows all of it. I'm, I'm drinking coffee Friday morning. And usually we do half caffeinated and half decaf. And that morning uh, we had picked up at TJ Maxx some Harvest Blend. And Deanna says... Do that tomorrow morning. So we had that Saturday morning. Well, it's fully caffeinated. You know what that dawned on me? I don't even know how we get caffeine out of the coffee. How do we get caffeine out of the... Who came up with that? We can get the caffeine out of the coffee. I don't know how they do that. It dawned on me as I'm sitting there. I don't even know the full periodic table of elements. I don't know the table of elements. I never had to learn them. How did I come through school? I didn't have to learn the table of elements. I went to Bible college. They didn't make me learn Periodic table of elements. Right now, there's a few. I bet there's less than five people that could stand right now and rip through them. And if they can, it's because they've recently had chemistry class. Okay, <laughs> next Sunday, Beth's going to teach us. Is it do the, all of them? Oh, awesome. Okay, yeah. And that is a good way to learn because it sticks with us. Nobody ever made me learn those things. You know what else I don't know? I don't know if we know all of them. I wonder if there's something that's out there that we still haven't discovered. I don't know all the combinations. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'll just tell you straight up. When I pray, if I'm not careful, I default to letting this body dictate how my prayers go. 
I let me and my body will start dictating the direction my prayers go. But verse number 27, we continue. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that was last week's message. Today's text, we're going to go ahead and let it flow into next week's text. So we'll read 28 to 30. Today's text is the 24 words in verse 28. And, so this verse 26, what we don't know, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Notice verse 28 finishes with His purpose. God's purpose flows immediately for those whom He foreknew. He also, so His purpose, those whom He foreknew. Apparently these are the ones who are going to fit into the purpose in this unique way. For those whom He foreknew, He also pre Destined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here comes the purpose. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. You say called, that was actually back in verse 28 at the end. Yeah, very important. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, the idea, I'm going to go ahead and cheat and look at next week a little bit. All of those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 24 words today. Look at verse 28 again. Before I read it again, do you guys, do y'all know the bedrock that this supplies for our faith? This isn't just a nice verse that's a lot of our favorite verse. Hey, this is cool. This is the game changer of the New Testament for us that fit the categories. So I want us to hear it one more time before we start tearing it apart in its different aspects. Let's hear the whole thing again before we launch into it. And so if you, if you haven't ever thought this, what if you just believe the Bible? I don't know your approach toward the Bible. There's probably different ideas. Oh, yeah, it's kind of true. Or I believe most parts. Or, yeah, I believe it until it says something that I don't really understand. Or, yeah, I believe the Bible until it contradicts my human thinking. And that's going to expose a lot of us in the next couple of weeks. A lot of us are going to fit that category. And there are some, I'm sure, that are here. I believe it even I don't understand it. I just believe it. I hope you're in that last group. Hear what your Bible says. God says, and we know that for those who love God, here's six words. It's going to have most of our attention today, these six words. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So here you have the apostle. As an apostle, Paul is being inspired by God, having just said, you are going to have suffering. There's going to be lots of suffering. Verse, 20, verse, verse 17 down to verse 23. There's going to be lots of suffering, but here's the key. You make it. You're secure. You're going to be okay. It all finishes for your good. Now, it's very important you catch what I'm about to say. This is not based on God's omniscience only. This is not based on God's omniscience only. So what do you mean? Does God know everything? Yes, does he know all the past? Does God know every current fact there is to know on earth? Every current fact in the universe? Yes, 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 yes. Does God know everything that will happen? Yes. But this passage, this promise is not based on God saying, Paul, write it down. In my omniscience, I got a peek. I've seen the future. It all, it's crazy. It all randomly comes together for their good. Tell them. That is not what this passage... This is not saying... God saying, I've seen the future. It works out. I don't know how it happened. It's crazy, randomly, but I've seen it. It's okay for you in the end. It's not His omniscience that's on display. Somebody tell me, what is this? It's His what? It's, it's His omnipotence. Is His omniscience? Yes, He does know this is going to happen. Why? Catch it. Because God, in His almighty omnipotence, is saying, I'm going to make it happen. 
This is not me just saying, oh, I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and I know it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. If I could say it this way, verse 28 is the what. It's the promise. Verse 29 and 30, that's the why and the how. So without going back and reading 28 again, take a quick peek, verse 28. Look how many times it says, he blank, like eight times. God's doing this. This is not just randomly. You could almost read verse 28, and if you're not paying attention, you'd think, well, all things eventually. I don't know how, but eventually. No, God is going to make them. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is doing all of the work. He's making sure verse 28 is going to come to pass. But today, we're going to spend the bulk of our time, not the only. We'll finish with a couple of things on either side of these six words. But the six words right in the middle of my verse, uh, we're going to... We're going to look at those, and as you see on your handout, we're going to have a four-fold outline. Uh, a lot of people outline this, and frankly, they all end up falling and looking just about the same. This is not a, a hard passage to outline, uh, and so the best I heard years ago, I hadn't looked it up fresh, but I remember J. Oswald Sanders gave an outline of those six words that I'd like us to use this morning. And let's start with number one. Would you go there with me? Write this down. God's plan for our life is inclusive. God's plan for our life is inclusive. The passage says all things work together for good. All things. All things. God's plan for our life is good. God's plan for our life is inclusive though. All things are working together for good. So here's our question. What in the world does Paul mean by all things? What does that mean, all things? Because we think very humanly, well, that's just it. You know what he means? He means every great thing in your life. He means every tiny thing in your life. He means everything in your life that you look at and you can say on on the backside of it, looking back now, I see how God used it and he used it for good. He means that. That is obviously implied. But listen to me. All things means everything that you do not understand how he could bring good out of this. This is everything that you think there's no way to bring good. This cannot work for good. This is bad, will always be bad. This is bad. No, all things work together for good to them who meet these qualifications. All things. I think about this. What draws us to the Lord Here's what I found in my own life. When I realize God's love, it draws me to Him. When I realize this is a big one, forgiveness of sin, that draws me to the Lord. I'll give you another one. When God blesses me, now here, this one's most tricky. When God gives me blessings, sometimes I get caught up and distracted, enjoying the blessing and kind of keep God on the peripheral. But sometimes the blessings of God really draw me to the Lord. But listen carefully. I'll tell you one that out of that list, God's love, His forgiveness, His blessings, I'm going to give you one that most of us would have to agree if I've ever been close to the Lord, I was close to the Lord in a time of suffering. All things. Most of us would say one of the closest times of my life and you would describe it and what you would be describing is a time of suffering. Yes, His love drew you and forgiveness is great and we love the blessings But there's something about that one. Would you hold your spot here? Go with me. Hebrews chapter 12. Flip over Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read. We're not going to really dissect the passage. I just want to get the dynamic of it. Hebrews chapter 12. So Romans 8 is all about the suffering, the suffering, the suffering. And on the heels of that, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says all things. Here's what you need to know. You're going to have suffering. Creation's groaning. The the, the Christian is groaning. But it, it all's going to be good in the end. All things work together for good. So Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 5. It's going to sound a little bit like the middle of Romans 8, the middle passages that we read earlier about us being sons. Watch verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, sons and daughters, children of God? If you've forgotten how he addresses us that way? And here God speaks, my son. Think of Romans 8, 28 as we read this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. Don't regard it lightly. Don't grow weary 
when he's reproving in your life. For the Lord disciplines you. Like, I don't like discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, you say, I don't want any discipline. If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us. My dad was an expert. Just tell you. He had a black belt in it. Literally, he had a black belt. Okay. Uh, I don't know why that just came out. Verse 9. About 50-inch black belt. Anyway, verse 9. That's the old days, right? Let's move on. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, talking about our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, our Heavenly Father, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. There's His goal. Sounds like Romans 8, 29. For the moment, well, we could all say this is the truth, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know what I thought of? I'm thinking all things, the things we recognize, that's good, I like that, that's fun, that's good, I can see how God's using that. Yes, His love, His forgiveness, all these blessings, wonderful things, and then comes suffering. This dawns on me, say, Jeff, do you think most of what happens to us is a result of our sin? Guys, I'd say probably most of it happens as a direct result of our sin. We live this way, or people that have an influence in our life, maybe they're over us, uh, a, a, a husband, or a dad particularly, or a president, and these things, and they filter down and they affect everyone. Other but a lot of times it's our own sin, and God, with a loving hand, but also a chastising hand, brings suffering and some pain into our life as a result of sin. That's why it happens a lot. Because He loves us, He lets this happen. But it's more than that. It's not just because of sin. Sometimes God allows suffering that's not even tied to sin because God is wanting to make us stronger. I want to read you a note from a man named Halverson. He writes the following, and there's a lot of truth in this. Halverson says, quote, think about it, much of the great art, poetry, and literature, he's talking about the great stuff, The great music and drama have come out of suffering. Catch this next line. The man of character. You say, oh, I know a man of character. He says, the man of character is usually the man who has suffered. The life that is free from suffering, that's the one we all want. But Halverson's correct. He says, the life that is free from suffering is often the life that is empty or shallow or superficial, unsympathetic. I'm here to tell you today, all things, even the suffering, the things that we think are the worst things of life, all things are working together for our good. Could I add this? Even being tempted to sin. So this week, a little bit, your minds are going to start running and racing. There'll be a sentence here and there, and you're going to run with it, especially at the end. And next week, we're really going to have to grapple with some terms and some truth from Scripture. But even temptation to sin, now let me be clear, being tempted to sin is not sin. Jesus himself was tempted to sin, but because he's God in the flesh, he did not yield to sin, he resisted, because he's God. But even temptation to sin, MacArthur points out how how an animal that is encountered by a larger, more dangerous, stronger enemy, so picture an animal encountered by a stronger enemy than itself, what does the animal do? Almost always. They run. They fly. They run to a place of safety. And MacArthur points out how when we are tempted by something that has defeated us in the past, and here's this temptation to sin and it's stronger than us, it can and should drive us back to God the Father. It should drive us to the Lord. So literally, even temptation to sin can be used by God for good. And so you hear that and you say, okay, great, Jeff, I get it. 
The Lord's loving hand, his chastening hand, he even uses suffering. He can even use temptation. But Jeff, I don't know what world you're living in, man. Sometimes uh, we actually give in to temptation and we commit the acts of sin. And so I guess that's the exception to the all things clause. Well, here I, this is where I as a speaker have to be really careful. Because I sure do not want to condone sin as a viable lifestyle for a Christian. I am not, please hear this, I am not saying sin in and of itself is a good thing. But based upon Romans 8.28 and other texts and truths and just themes within Scripture, I am going to tell you, God, here's the key, God, because of His mighty omnipotence, His infinite power and His infinite wisdom, can even take something that is opposed to His nature, sin, and turn it and use it for our good and His ultimate glory. And some of you hearing that saying, that is whacked out. So this preacher is saying, sin is a good thing. I am not saying sin's a good thing. He just gave us permission to sin because God's just going to turn it in good in the end. I am not saying go out and live it up. All I'm saying is God can take our messes and clean them up and turn them for our good and his glory. And I don't even know how he always does it. You say, I just don't believe that. Flip over to Acts chapter 4. I'd really like you to see it. Acts chapter 4. See these verses, you say, what's the context here? This is a prayer meeting. You heard uh, Carol announce earlier about a ladies' prayer meeting in two weeks on a Monday. Women's World Day of Prayer. So here's a prayer meeting in the city of Jerusalem, and this is the early church. Look what they say. Let this sink in. Talking directly to God. Watch this. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together, they're talking to God, Lord, Father, truly, in this city here in Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. All these, these ones we're about to say, they came against Jesus, whom you anointed. Who? Who came together? Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. All these groups. The king, the governor, the Roman governor, the, the Jewish king, the Gentile people, the so Roman soldiers, and the Jewish leadership, our nation, all these people, everyone came against your son. Why? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I'm going to propose to you. If God can take the worst sin of all time and turn it to his glory and our good, then he can turn any sin to his glory and our good. Is that not the worst sin of all? You say, what makes that the worst sin of all time? I, I'm not the smartest guy, okay? I know this. When you murder God's son, I cannot think of a worse sin. And God took that sin, and that's the one we get the most blessing from. So I'm here to tell you, when the Bible says all things, it means all things. Suffering, temptation, not a license to sin, but even our sin. Romans 8. Number two. Not only is God's plan for our life inclusive of all things, God's plan for our life is active. Active. That is, all things work. All things work. I'm only going to spend a moment on this. and this one, I'm going to say a few things that are controversial. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm going to say some things that are difficult for me to understand. But I believe what I'm about to tell you. You ever been in a point in your life where you know in your head from good theology because you've been taught, maybe your own reading, you've concluded, we talked earlier about God's omnipotence, you know this, God is all-powerful. He is the almighty God. There's nothing He can't do. He is omnipotent. But then you, you, you think this way, but here I am over here experiencing this suffering, and this is not suffering for my sin. This is something, this has nothing to do. I've done right. Kind of like, like Job, you're going just living life and all these things just start happening to you. What is going on? And here's what we're, care, if we're not careful. Here's what we start thinking. God, if you're all powerful, what are you doing with all that power? You ever thought it? You could have stopped that. You could have made that happen. You could come in at any moment and fix this. You had the power. What are you doing with all of it? I'm ready to tell you. Our God, you say, what's God doing right now? Our God's busy. God's busy right now in this room. God's working. Say, what's he doing? Our God is busy carrying out his master plan 
And I came to tell you, everything, and I mean everything, is right on schedule. And we hear that with American ears. And we hear that with Bible-educated ears. And we stop and say, oh, whoa, 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 Jeff, time out to do You just said God's carrying out his master plan because he has all this power and everything. And you mean everything is right on schedule. You don't really believe that, do you? I absolutely do believe it. Do you understand what you just said? I absolutely do not understand what I just said. Do I believe it? Sure. Either I believe God is omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty, or he isn't. Either he is or he isn't. I know that he is. And so I've come to a conclusion. You say, yeah, but Jeff, look what's happened. Adam and sin and passed down and here we are. Have you seen America today? Everything's not on schedule. Here's all I know. If I really believe that God is all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, almighty, and then I believe that little bitty tiny mankind can just mess up God's plan, then those two don't go together. God is almighty. God is not in a panic. God's not wringing his hands. Adam did not catch God off guard. Lucifer did not catch God off guard. And I know if you were to go home and really think through that, you're going to come up with, well, if that's true, then that means this about God. I understand. All I know, and we'll have to look at this a little bit next week, all I can do is say the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. I'm going to give you a little hint. God is not the author of sin. God hates sin. God is not tempted with sin. He does not tempt any man with sin. And yet he's all powerful. He could make anything happen. He could stop anything from happening. And all I I know is somewhere between there we're missing some information and all I can do is say I know that's true and I know that's true and I'm going to preach that everything's on schedule things are not out of control God's not panicking I get confused by what God allows number three God's plan for our life is not only inclusive and active he is working but God's plan for our life is harmonious and this is the key one God's plan for our life is absolutely harmonious. The Bible in the middle of those six words says all things work together. Pretty much this whole point, I've just stated the point. I've stated the point. All things are harmonious. You have to put it all together. Now I want to illustrate it a few ways. And hopefully by the time we illustrate a few ways, it'll start sinking in. Simple illustration. Sanders words it this way. Catch this. He says life, you want to know what life is like? It's It's like an elaborate tapestry. So picture, I mean like something you'd see at the Biltmore House, one of these fancy scenes. This thing's being woven on a loom. I mean, it's, it's all, it's a scene or a pattern. I mean, this thing is huge, it's large, and that's what God is doing in what we call history. So life is like an elaborate tapestry being woven on a loom. A loom. Quote, here's what he writes. For the beauty of the pattern, it is imperative, means it's a must, it has to do this. For the beauty of the pattern, it's imperative that the colors must not be all of the same hue. Some must be bright, we like the bright ones, and beautiful. But others must be dark and somber. Must be. And he completes the quote by saying, It is as they are all worked together that they contribute to the beauty of the pattern. Could I say it's the same thing in music? If all music was those major, clear, high register notes, those major, high, clear, yes, if that's all it was, and never the low, minor ones, we wouldn't be spoken to by the music nearly so much. It's the same in speech. If I got up here and preached the whole time at this register, you say, man, that guy's excited. But after about 40 minutes, his voice is wore out, and we don't really know what really are the main points because he's just excited all the time. Or if I talk like Forrest Gump the whole time too, you wouldn't really get what I was saying. After a while, it would just become monotonous. Right? So you've got to have some low, and you've got to have some medium, and you've got to have some excitement. That's life. Bright colors, dark colors, somber colors. Beautiful. Put it all together. We're never going to invite you over to the house and say, hey, all right, all right kids, bring out and put some eggs in front of you, raw eggs. 
No, no, no. There's something else with it. Oh, and there's some flour. Bring the butter, the stick of butter. And there's some milk. And a little brown bottle. Can't really see it. What was that? Just take a couple swigs. What's that? That's vanilla extract. It's good stuff. What? I'm not drinking that. Oh, and to top it all off, some baking powder. You say, you would never. That's horrible. I don't like those things. Yes, you do when they're mixed just right at the proper proportions and put, catch it, put under heat. Under heat. Mixed together. Right proportions. Right amount of heat. Right amount of time. We do like cake. We like cake. Individually, we don't like these ingredients. I'm thinking nine and a half months ago on a Monday night in January. Some of you are educated enough and you'd watch the team enough to know it's going to be okay. we still got a shot. But I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of you Clemson fans were panicking. When Alabama scored with about two minutes to go in your heart as you're watching that game, how many Clemson, ha- Clemson fans' hands went to their head as they stood there and they just thought, oh, the worst possible thing just happened. What? Alabama just scored to go ahead. That's the worst thing that could have happened. Actually, it's one of the worst things that could have happened for Alabama because they left two minutes on the clock, which was just enough time for Clemson to come. you got, you got to take the whole thing. That's what I'm telling you. This is bad. No, this is good. Why is that bad? Because you see, they got the big play against us. That's bad. No, no, that's great. They're getting ready to score. That's bad, right? No, that's great. They're getting ready to score. Told you, they scored. What are you so excited about? Two minutes? Our guy's good. We're, We're in good shape. Now, a few of you knew that. Most of you didn't. Most of you were cursing and, right? But the good thing is, here come that old tired defense back out, and it was like they just weren't ready. Years ago, you weren't really cursing because you're grace for your church members. <laughs> Years ago, I heard Chip Ingram word it this way. And by the way, I've got to qualify a lot of my stuff today. We are not condoning gambling in this illustration. But some of you, like me, you've watched ESPN. They have these, like... Uh, Texas Hold'em tournaments. You ever seen the Texas Hold'em tournaments? So it's this card game, and, and it, basically it's poker, and I don't even understand fully what beats what in the whole po- poker world. But basically Texas Hold'em is the best five cards, whoever's playing, the best five cards. However, you can use your cards. Maybe you can get four of a kind or three of a kind or a three of a kind and a two of a kind. They call that a full house. Or maybe you get all five of them or hearts or all five are diamonds or whatever. You have these different things and these flushes and straights and all these different things. So you get five cards, but here's how you play it. Here's the key. Everybody gets two cards. And you don't know what everybody else has, but you see your two cards. And I guess the reason they do this is because it does allow a lot of time for betting. So you see your two cards, and everybody throws their bets in. And then they have what's called the flop. You say, what in the world is the flop? The flop is where there's these community cards. So everybody at the table gets to use five cards that are going to be turned over. So if you can use any of those five, five cards with your two cards, so out of your seven choices, what's the best five that you can put together? So here they have this thing called the flop. One, two, three cards are turned over. So you know what your two cards are, and you already see those three. And then there's more betting. And they do these little percentages, ESPN does. Oh, this person looks like they're going to win based off the flop. They just went up, and they have an 82% chance to win. This person over here only has an 18% chance. And then they have another card, so they bet some more. And then they turn over the fourth card that everybody gets to use. And when they turn that one over, it's called the turn. And then all of a sudden, you'll sometimes see, uh-oh, it's not 82%. They now have a 96% chance of winning, and that other person only has a 4%. Basically, it's only one card that's left, and they'll bet some more. I'm saying all that to say this. A lot of Christians, maybe even this morning, or in your past, or if it hasn't been in your past, it'll be in your future, where life will look bleak because you've seen your two cards, you've seen the flop, and you've seen the turn, and you just say, this does not end well, this is awful, this is painful, God has totally lost control. Here's all I'm going to tell you, the game is not over until you see the river card turned over, and that's when you know who really won. And I came here to tell you, if you're a Christian, all the cards have not been turned over in this life. There's plenty yet to be seen. And when it's all seen, all things work harmoniously together. Number four. 
God's plan for our life is inclusive, it's active, it's harmonious, you have to put it all together, and then God's plan for our life is good, it is good, it works for good. I was thinking the other day, and by the way, many of you here today will not be able to relate with what I'm about to say. Some of you will remember a time or an idea of a time. Uh, Computers used to not back themselves up automatically while you typed, okay? So some of you that are my age or even a little younger than I am or older than I am, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever like worked on a document, I mean a large document, an important one? Like when I'm typing messages, today's is actually six pages, so if you're counting, you're like, uh-oh, we're in trouble with six, because he's only turned so many, okay. Uh, that's, that's what my notes look like there, okay? And uh, Granted, everybody makes fun of me because I highlight everything. What's the point to highlight if you highlight everything? I don't know. It helps me. This is what I do. Here's my question for you. Have you ever pounded out a document back in those days? Uh, Nathan Rice gave me a, a, a Mac notebook. That thing backs up three seconds after I'm typing. Oop, saved offline. Oops, saved on the drive, online, if I'm on the internet. That thing's awesome. But used to, you had to stop and like click to oh, hit the little icon, save, and then you got to get busy, and you've got it perfectly worded. Did you ever in your life have a time where you had something really, really important, and all of a sudden, poof, and there's just a little cursor blinking? Hey! And then you send for someone and they come in and they look at it and it's like, yeah, okay, we're... And they click around and click around and like, well, what'd you have on there? I had about nine pages. That's my report. It's due tomorrow morning. Well, it's gone. Some of you have had that. And you remember wanting to get a sledgehammer and smash the whole thing. I'll say that for this reason. Catch this. Imagine how William Carey, missionary... And his two colleagues felt on March the 12th, 1812. Over 200 years ago, 205 years ago. Picture it, March 12th, 1812, a fire swept through their mission work in Sarampore, India. You say, yeah, boy, I've, I've lost some documents. I have some files. I have one in there now, probably has 100 sermons in it. These are valuable to me. They are my life. That Each one represents hours and hours of my life. That's valuable. Literally, when we thought our house was going to be catching on fire about 2010, one of the things I grabbed, I grabbed the little box with our important papers, and I grabbed my sermon notes. What about the dog and the cat? Well, open the doors. They'll be fine. i got to get this stuff. It's important. I need this. This is my life. Fire swept through the mission work at Sarampore, India, Oswald Sanders writes the following, quote, catch this, within a few moments, the sacrificial translation work of years of William Carey and his colleagues went up in smoke. It was said the loss was immense. Catch this list. Only the printer was saved. They lost their paper for Bibles. The metal typesets. And then the next five or six things I'm about to tell you, it'll go, it's, it's so easy to hear and go, oh, that's too bad. This represents months and months of a team. What'd they lose? They lost the Indian scripture versions. The Canaries New Testament. Two large Old Testament books in Sanskrit. The Bengali dictionary to help the people know what these words mean. The, the, the Telugu grammar. A grammar book and the Sanskrit dictionary. All of it gone and you'd think they're standing there going, God, where are you? What's going on? We're here trying to serve you. We've done all this work. We've lived among these people. We've learned how they talk. We've studied the scriptures and we're trying to put the Bible in their language so they can hear about Jesus and say, what are you doing? Whoosh, gone. Yet the following quotes are taken from these men. Carrie says, quote, God will no doubt bring good out of this evil and make it promote our interest. Mr. Marshman said, quote, It steeled me into tranquil submission, enabling me to look up and welcome God's will. A Mr. Ward, part of the team, this isn't later, this is said, he's, he was found while the fire still smoldered, not just submissive, jubilant. Ah. Wonder what God has in store. Are you messed up in the head? What is wrong with you? This is years of our life. And we hear that and we say, wow, 
What good could possibly come from losing years of mission work? What good? There's nothing. You'll never get that back. I don't even want to hear. I don't hear anything saying that could turn out good. What good could happen? The answer, God used that fire and their story to unstop the ears of British Christians. They were kind of out there on their own. Not really understood, not appreciated, just a few supporters. But when that story came back, Britain began to see the need and the grandeur of the mission work. And all of a sudden, friends, new supporters of all types began to multiply. New missionaries heard the call. New missionaries went. All of a sudden, where there's three or four guys, all of a sudden, many are going and taking the gospel. The work actually increased in the end, and it took a fire to do it. Would you look at Romans 8, 29? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as an apostle, says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. I'm going to give you one of the keys to this passage. This is a major key. We have to understand what God means by good. All things work together for good. Oh, all things work together for comfort, for pleasure, for ease. No. All things work together for good. This is important. God's definition of good is not always our definition of good. You say, what is God's definition of good? Please hear me when I say what I'm about to say because I know in this room, I've talked with some recently, just in the last week and a half. Please, I am not making light of this. I, I may have cancer right now, but I've not been told that I do. So I've never been told this. Don't answer out loud, but I would ask you, is cancer good? And we'd hear that and say, no. Jeff, if you've ever had a loved one, you would know cancer is not good. I would ask you, is cancer ever good? Again, Jeff, you don't understand. We've lived through this. We're living through it now. This is never a good thing. I would propose to you this morning, God's definition of good, based on Romans 8, 29, is anything that draws us to Christ, anything that makes us more like Christ, because God's definition of good is spiritual things. God's definition of good is eternal things. And I'm going to promise you, when we get to heaven, there are people that are in heaven because they got cancer in this life, and it rocked their world, and it made them ready to listen to God, because they know they are not going to live forever And they were ready to hear the gospel and they put their faith and trust in Christ because they got cancer and would not have done that had they died another type of death. Does God know what he's doing? I'm telling you, he does. God's definition of good is not mine. I know mine. If I had all the power, I would spoil Jeff Bartlett rotten. Right? But God's too wise and too loving to do that. Would you write down two urgent truths? For us to really understand this passage, two urgent truths we must keep in mind. Number one, God's greatest good is spiritual good. Number two, just going to tell you, this is the way we're built. Oftentimes, a lot of time has to elapse before we can recognize good. I thought about this, and John and Brenda, I thought about your sister-in-law and all that she went through Friday and Two broke femur bones and fell off a curb and already taking treatments for cancer. And I mean, it's just pitiful and excruciating. Pain was the word John used in, in a text to the leadership here at the church for us to be praying. I want to tell you guys, when you're in a major trial or when you're in excruciating pain, one hour seems like a long, long time. But the Bible says with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day again. We may panic. God's not panicking. Everything's on course. We wouldn't ask for it, and it's crazy. Please don't, don't be offended at me. All I'm telling you is, if you meet qualifications, God's saying, I'm actually using that. I'm drawing that person to Christ, or I'm making them more like Christ as a result of that pain and suffering and temptation, and yes, even that sin. I'm going to let them get in that sin. I'm tired of telling them about the electric fence. Hey, watch out for that electric fence over there. Hey, kids, don't, don't get close to that. There's an electric fence. It, it'll shock. You know what? Just handle it. 
Just go ahead and lean again. Go ahead and grab it one good time. And sometimes God lets us realize sin and rebellion has a price tag and it doesn't do all that it promises. It comes with consequences. Yeah, I tried to tell you that and I found the best way for you to realize that is just let you get a good belly full of it. And that's what God in his wisdom does. Would you look at the verse on the screen? Genesis 50 verse 20. We know this verse, right? Uh, I'm going to rip through this. And if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, I apologize, we'll have to pick it up another day, but I just want to hit the impact of this. This is almost the end of a 50-chapter book. Joseph's brothers, their dad, Jacob, has died now, and they are just really assured that Joseph's going to have their head. But watch his attitude. Look at this verse. Joseph tells his brothers, As for you, you meant evil. You, you guys, you meant evil against me. That's what you wanted. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Guys, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. You meant evil for me. You had it in for me. You wanted me dead. And I can tell you exactly which one of you wanted to kill me. The only reason I'm alive today is a couple of you, my older brothers, stood up for me. And the rest of you, you wanted to kill me there that day. Can I tell you... Those of you that are familiar with the Joseph passage, go home and think about this. It was good that Joseph was hated by his brothers. You say, it's never good to be... Some of you here that say, my brothers or my sisters or my family hates me. Believe me, Jeff, it's never good. I'm telling you, it's good that Joseph's brothers hated him. And it's good that they sold him as a slave. And it's good that Potiphar bought him as a servant. And it's good that Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape. And it's good that Joseph goes to prison. You say, none of those things are good. Oh, they're all really, really good. Who's good? Joseph's good. The Hebrew nation's good. The nation of Egypt's good. The other nations that are around them were experiencing famine because God used all of that hardship and difficulty to put Joseph right in a spot and gave him a gift of interpreting dreams that when the Pharaoh of Egypt had this dream that no one could interpret, a butler remembers, well, there is this guy, and I'm sorry, I forgot all about him, but he interpreted a dream of mine, and he was in prison. He's a really great guy. He just keeps catching these bad breaks, but he does know how to interpret dreams, and he hears his dream, and he knows exactly what it is, and he says there's going to be a famine. And it's coming, and Pharaoh says, that is my dream. You are the guy. And he becomes number two in the country. Second most powerful man in the world. Because God had a plan. First Peter, very quickly, would you look at first Peter? I just want you to feel the dynamic of this passage as well. God's plan is good. It's inclusive, it's active, it's harmonious. Got to take the whole thing, but it is good. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. Having just told the Christians about their inheritance and how God's power is the one that's keeping us saved, in verse 6, Peter tells his audience, in this you rejoice. You, you love knowing about your inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's not going to fade. It's there. You're going to get it one day. In this you rejoice. Though, Christian, read this. Christian, hear it. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, gold is going to perish, but your tested faith, showing that it's genuine, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This morning in this room, there are people that are in these fires right now. What I'm trying to tell you is if the gold in that verse, if the gold could talk, here's this gold, if the gold could have a personality and a brain and it's put into the fire and part of the gold is coming apart and it's bubbling and it's melting and it's like ripping apart, that's part of me. No, that's not really part of you. That's dross. That's filth. That's mixed things. We want pure gold. But I don't like it. This fire hurts. Stop it. Tone it down. Turn the thing off. Just let me be like I am. No, we want pure gold. But I'm telling you, God does that work in a Christian's life. And some in the room, this is you. You've been in extreme fires. Chronic pain. Chronic. Two words. No young person here, maybe no young person here, understands what those two words mean. But you and your spouse know, you don't even know, Jeff, what you just said. I know I don't. Disease. Neglect from a loved one, a lost job, 
Here's a big one. Ongoing financial struggle just all the time. God, you own it all. At any moment, you could just drop it out of the sky. You could let me be digging in the backyard. Hit a treasure chest. You had that power. Please do it. That's how we pray. That's how we pray. Lord, let me just be out planting a shrub and all of a sudden, whoa, treasure chest, pirate chest. Whoa, richest man in Anderson. But God rarely does that. And even the loss of a loved one. When those things happen, our faith is being tested and becoming more genuine. And that's when we need to remember Romans 8, 28. Would you turn back to Romans 8? I wish I had time. I don't. Because I did today what most every preacher does with this passage. We focus on all the hardships and all the negative things and say God's working this all out for good. If I could just give 30 seconds of balance, it won't work. Do y'all know God gave us the good word of God? That's good. God gives us the Holy Spirit abiding in us, and that's good. God gives us creature comforts and material blessings. Here in America, we have more than any other nation. We have it. Our poorest of the poor have food and clothing, and like 2 billion people in the world live on $2 a day or less. Our poorest have way more than that. But when we scale to each other, and we think this is, and I'm reading First Timothy, and I'm thinking, we in America are just so blessed. God gives us health. And when something happens, I notice we notice the thing we don't have. Instead of focusing on, wow, look at all the years I had or all the other areas that are good. Family, loved ones, friends, a big one, good tasting food. How, how would life change if food didn't taste good? So it's all working together for good. Now would you look again very quickly, Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. What I'm trying to tell you today, there are no qualifiers on the content of Romans 8. There are no qualifiers on the content. There are qualifiers on the recipients. If I could say it very plainly. All things do not work together for good for everybody. If I could say it stronger, listen carefully. Say, Jeff, I don't like what you, what you said. Okay? You may not like it, but I believe it. I might not like it, but I'm going to say it. All things work together for bad for many people. Most people. You say, man, I like the other part of the message a lot better because what are you saying? I'm telling you the promise is unlimited except in who it's talking about. There are qualifiers as to who this fits. I believe the two keys of this passage, verse 28, is to understand what is meant by good, What's meant because the statement's real easy, all things, let it say what it says, work together for good. Okay, I got that. You better understand what good means or you'll get off balance. But I'm going to tell you the other thing. You better make sure that you're applying the promise only to the ones that God applies it to. And he says there's two things about these people. He says, number one, they love God. And you say, what in the world's love for God? Love for God is a deep adoration for God, just Himself, not His gifts, not all the blessings. It's a deep adoration. So I need you to test yourself this morning. Does this verse, you say, man, I like Romans 8, 28. Be sure it's talking about you. Love. Verse number 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, What's love for God? Deep adoration. If I could say deep worth, deep value, deep affection for God, just for who He is, that always leads to specific responses. Because here's what I find. There's a lot of people in America say, oh yeah, I love God, but watch, they reject His Son. You say, how do they reject His Son? They reject His Son because they don't accept His Son. So if you're here today and you say, I've never received or accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I love God. No, you don't. When you have deep affection placed, deep value, deep worth, and someone says, my son is the Savior of the world, put your faith in him, this pleases me. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that, but I still like to think I love you. You're fooling yourself. It's impossible. 
fact, John gives us, I'm going to have these put up. Look at John 14. John helps us out. John says, you want to know if you love God? Here's a couple of ways. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And you see the rest of the verse. Look at the beginning of verse 21. Look at A. Verse 21A. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jesus says, if you have my commandments and keep them, you're the ones who love me. Now, I've got to be real careful. Please hear this. Please hear this. Please hear this. Commandment keeping is not the love. Look at the verse. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Commandment keeping is not the love. The relationship is not commandment keeping. All this is saying is, those who have a relationship, because God loved them and they love Him back, those ones will keep His commandments. Not perfectly in this life, that's what sanctification is all about, but they will love Him. The commandment keeping is not the love. Love leads to commandment keeping. It's the outflow, it's the response, it's the evidence. One more, 1 John chapter 4. How do we know? I love God, really. 1 John 4. We love because, verse 19, we love because He first loved us. So here's your little test. Again, this is not how you love God, but if you love God, this will be true. If anyone says, oh, I love God, okay, let's see. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he... Who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Oh, I love God. I just hate Christians. Then you don't love God and you hate Christians because you're not one of them. And Romans 8.28 does not apply to you. I'm just being honest with you. The Bible says you're a liar if you honestly think that. I love God. I've never seen him, but I love him. And I hate Christians. Who are made in the image of God. Back to Romans, the last thing. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. I've already told you, next week we're going to get into this. This calling and the purpose and foreknowledge and predestination and those types of things. We're going to start getting into that as we make our way to Romans 9. But it's all about security. This is why we're secure. It's all about what God is doing. It's not about what we're doing. I know this. Please listen. These words make a lot of people very nervous. And then there's in this room right now, there's some who have never even thought about these words. And there's others. So I've thought about them some. And there's others like I've thought about them a lot. And you've got your verses and they've got their verses. And you're ready to defend and all of that. And I know already when I preach next week, there's going to be some that disagree and there'll be some that maybe came in thinking one way and they may think another way as we look at what the Bible says. I just want to let you know what I say is not important. What the scripture says is, look at the end, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we hear this and we say, Jeff, what is this calling? If you want to write it down, it's your last note. Called in verse 28 means more than to be invited to receive Jesus. I got saved in 1979, Mount Olive Baptist Church up on Town Mountain Road above Asheville, North Carolina. A lot of kids that night heard the same message Ed Yeoman preached. A lot of kids were invited to receive Jesus that night. I don't remember how many did get saved, but I'm sure it wasn't everybody, but I did. So what's called mean? Called in verse 28, we'll look at it more next week, it does not merely mean to be invited to receive Christ. You say, what does it mean? It means, here it is, you ready? It means to be summoned to and given salvation. This is to be summoned to, given salvation. So we preachers, we get up and we preach and we invite everybody, but I'm going to tell you, It's only when God calls, God called me that night, I heard God's message, God's word, God's truth talking to me that night, that Wednesday night in June, 1979. You'll see the verses on the screen as we close. So I still don't understand this whole called thing. Let me whet your appetite with this. Here's what has to happen. 
For everyone, everyone, right before that's talking about Jews and Greeks, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I will tell you, no one who does not call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but everyone who does call on the name of the Lord, the idea in faith, will be saved. So you have to do that. But verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? They've never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you're here this morning, you're saying, Jeff, I don't understand the whole calling thing. What happens? You have to call on the Lord Jesus Christ from your heart, your, your soul, your spirit. You have to call on Him in faith and believe what He did on the cross. You have to receive it. You have to hear the promises of God as personal. That night I heard it, He's talking to me. This is for me. I can take Him up on this. But I know you will never call on the Lord Jesus to save you unless you believe Him. Nobody calls on Jesus to save Him unless they believe Him. And no one's going to believe Him unless they hear and no one's going to hear unless God sends someone to tell them. So if you're here this morning and say, I'm not a Christian. I cannot say that I love God. And I don't know that I'm the called. But I sure do like that middle part of Romans 8. And this God that you're talking about sounds like something amazing. What does it take to be called? Just listen. You're in, you're in great luck. You're in the providence of God. It just so happens God has sent you to a place, Graceview Church, on this morning... And he sent me here to tell you that God loves you. You've got to hear this. You have to personalize it. God says he loves you so much that he sent his only son by nature to become a human being named Jesus just so he could die on a cross because God can't die. Jesus became a man to die on a cross. He became your sin because your sin has to be punished. God sent me to tell you, if you'll put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, it's enough to pay for all the sins you ever have committed all the sins you ever will commit, and God will save you. My question is, did you hear that as to you? Did you hear that as to you? Do you hear God saying, that's my promise? Listen, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Love me enough to call on me to save you because I loved you first. Did you hear the gospel today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm just curious. Is there anyone here this morning that something inside of you, you feel like something is calling you to accept Jesus as your Savior? I'm going to invite every single person in this auditorium right now and any person who ever hears this on a recording to come to Jesus, how? By believing what you just heard. Believing that God loves you. Believing that you are a sinner. You say, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe God must punish my sin. You've got to confess that to the Lord. But I'm just wondering if anyone hears this general message that I'm giving and you hear it very specifically as to you this morning. For me, it was June of 79. Does anyone here? You say, that's me. I feel like God is talking to my soul this morning. He's been speaking to me. I want to invite you. You don't have to do anything except hear the gospel, the good news. God loves you. He promised He, he does. He proved it. He sent His Son Jesus to pay for all your sins. There's nothing left to pay. There is something left to do. So what do I have to do? You have to receive it. As many as receive him, to them gave you the power, the right, the authority to become the sons of God. I did it at nine years old. I didn't understand everything. All I know is that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and God says that's enough and he would save me if I would ask him. And so there's a nine-year-old boy. I did what you should do right now. In my own words, I told God I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. But thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. And Lord, I'm going to take you up on John 3.16. I've heard it all my life and today I know what it means. 
You love me so much, you gave your son to die. And if I believe in him, so Lord, today, Jesus, if I could talk to you personally, Jesus, would you please save me from my sins? I feel love building toward you right now. Jesus, I am falling in love with you because you love me first. Be my Savior today. Please save me from my sins. Christian, give thanks for the obvious blessings. Think of one. Obvious blessing. Obvious. Clear. That is good. Christian, be encouraged amid your struggles today. Be encouraged And Christian, if I could leave you with this thought before we sing. Man, in light of Romans 8, 28, we ought to be going out and taking chances for the kingdom of God. Because it all works out for our good in the end. You say, yeah, but they may not like me. It all works out for good in the end. It might get me in trouble. I might lose my job. I might end up getting physically hurt. It could cause... Hey, take chances for the kingdom of God because we have a promise. It all ends up for our good and His glory in the end. Let's go change the world. Armed with Romans 828. Father, as we sing about your great love, let's believe your word and your promises. And Lord, if anybody here today needs help settling their salvation, would you give them courage maybe to step out or even to acknowledge, Lord, just let someone know, hey, I, I, I got saved. I received Jesus. Lord, give them courage and boldness. And Lord, speak to your people. Equip us, arm us with what we can know today. Would you stand? Let's sing.